Hey everybody and welcome back to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast with myself, your host as always, Alex Connor, where we talk about everything training, nutrition and lifestyle respectively, uncover the myths, avoid the niceties and remove all the BS and just get to the truth and derive some of the best principles, teachings and learnings from my guests and experience over the years. Now, just a quick thank you to everyone who has been listening to the episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. I really appreciate all the positive feedback and the support. And please, if you like these episodes and you like listening and you're getting something out of them, share them with a friend, share them with someone who you think will benefit, but also leave a rating and a review because it really helps the channel grow. It gives it that positive recognition and also we can share it around with more people and get this knowledge out there to raise the standard and just help people out in general, which is my main goal here. I just really want to get out some better quality information, especially within respect to my field, as I feel it is a very saturated market and there's not a lot of quality out there these days. And when it is, it's very few and far between. So just a thank you once again. Okay, so this episode, I am joined by the founder and CEO of A-Team Tuition. His name is Hayden McAvoy. Now, me and Hayden met literally just in the reception area of EMF Rubina, where I'm a physique coach. We just had a little bit of a back and forth chat, struck a chord, found that we had a lot in common. One thing led to another, and hey, he's on the podcast. I thought it'd be a great person to share some knowledge. Um, he's got some amazing experience under his belt. He's been through a lot of ups and downs, and he's now able to revolutionize and begin to revolutionize the industry going forward, especially in tuition and education. So a little bit about Hayden is that he was very, very high in his sporting achievements when he was younger, with 23 national medals in swimming, two Queensland medals in athletics, eight national medals in surf lifesaving, and from 16 years to 17 year old, he was the fastest 100 meter freestyler in the world, and that was back in 08 and 09. And he's also studied sport and exercise science at university. So we had a lot of uh, forthcomings and, and, and chats around that. And I think if you listen into this episode, I definitely took a lot out of it in terms of the process of learning and how people are getting misguided and miscommunicated. And a lot of you know upcoming students and, and kids these days are not really getting understood and they're not getting that fair opportunity. So it's really interesting when we dive into the process behind the learning, the formulas and the principles and the protocols and how he is able to now get people to get straight A's um, in their business, in their studying and their schooling life. Now, when he was in school, he got an OP3 equivalent, straight A's, but he didn't start there and high distinctions at university. So he built his way up. So it's very inspiring how he's practiced what he's preached and now he's giving that back to others. And he actually failed years one to nine, uh, being an ADHD student, and now he's created one of the most successful tutoring companies in Queensland with 153 staff in four cities and partnering with 19 schools and over 5,000 students alike. So guys, listening to this one, it's a longer form conversation, but there's a lot of hidden gems in here. I really enjoyed it. I know you're going to get a lot out of it too, especially if you're really into the nitty gritty. You want to break things down and learn about someone who's come full circle in their success. But without further ado, enjoy this conversation between myself and Hayden McAvoy. 
Hayden, welcome to the, the Fearless Training More Knowledge podcast. Thank you for your time today. Appreciate you here on the podcast sharing some knowledge. No worries. Glad so as, all, yeah, uh, as always, let's start off at the beginning. So for people who are not aware, tell us a little bit about you, your background, what you do, why you do it, how you got here. Yeah, of course. Um, so essentially my hobby or my area of interest that I feel I specialise in is like elite performance, um, whether that is school, business, life in general. So I, I guess if you have a look at what I study and, and what I'm obsessed with and what I read hundreds and hundreds of books on is like what is elite performance? Um, not so much the concept of success, but what how you create that. And then that all comes back to my life story and um, my business was essentially like a product of my life story. It's the end of everything. So essentially like my story starts with me in grade one. In grade one I was diagnosed with ADHD and as a kid with ADHD, you know, you were that teacher back then in the late 1990s, teachers would just pick on you because ADHD didn't exist back then. It was an excuse for a bad kid, essentially. They didn't understand the, the neurological way that it works and how ADD people have less certain hormones that make them react like that, you know, mm. and allow yeah. that focus. <clears throat> it wasn't until the late 2000s where ADD became a cool thing to have. And like so, like glasses, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I go for the shit stage where it wasn't cool. Um, and so essentially, like, from grade one to grade nine, I severely struggled with ADHD and um, I could never focus in class. I would try my hardest and I pretty much got, like, just through my schooling. A lot of C's, occasionally D's, and a couple of E's every now and then. Mm -hmm. And so I just scraped through. Um, when I got to grade nine, I was lucky actually because I um, was swimming at the time and I'd gotten in like, I got fourth place in my swimming carnival when I was in primary school. Mm -hmm. And um, what had happened was when I was grade seven, they started getting me to training a couple of days a week. And so by the time I got to grade eight and nine, I was getting, I was ranked 58th, I think, in Queensland in the 50 freestyle, 50 butterfly. So I was swimming at uh, Miami Swimming Club, like literally in the pool next to Grand Hackett and a lot of some of the greatest Australian Olympians of all time. Mm -hmm. And um, his coach came up and actually picked three kids that were coming up on a talent development program. So there was myself, 58th in Queensland, and then the other two boys both had national records in different events, like literally the best ever. Um, and so the three of us went up into this squad and I remember the first, as soon as we got there, it was a bit like, all right, this is how we train, this is what you eat, this is the way you do gym, this is how everything works. So it was, it was, a, it was like a structure. And I went from training twice a week to nine times a week. And I was getting lapped every single session for the first six months because I was like barely even slow enough to make the cycles. And I was told just to keep going and, and until you started making cycles. You know, over the years that developed and then over the year that developed, and then within a year I went to the nationals and got, um, you know, six silver medals in nationals for my age in you know, most of the events that I did. So I literally went from like 58th to second, you know, in one year, just through, you know, the execution of the right strategy across um, nutrition, psychology, the sleep, the, the whole thing was all planned out. Yeah. So I took that um, same concept and I started thinking, well, if I can do that in sport, you know, why not do it in other areas of my life? And it, it, it had shattered this, this belief I had. I used to have this belief, and I remember sitting there, I'd think about it all the time, where it was like, um, you just have to be born at something to be good at it. I thought that the kids that got A's in school were just born smart. If you were good at swimming, you were born good at swimming. I, I never knew that there was like a hard work component of it. Um, and this taught me that. I was like, mm, okay, well, if I got this good at swimming, when I, before I thought I was nothing, like what else can I do this with? 
So I started doing that in my schooling and I literally went to every single my te- single one of my teachers in grade nine and I said, I'm gonna get an A this term and you're gonna, you're gonna help me do it. And it yeah. wasn't like a, oh, I'm gonna aim for this. I was like, I'm gonna get it. Like I was that confident I could do it. The sport yeah. had like given me that. So I literally put together this plan of what I was going, to, how I was gonna study, my relationship with my teachers, the food I was gonna bring to school. Like I used to bring like 20 pieces of toast to school and that was my whole food for the day. And nice. so, Carb loading. Exactly. <laughs> so I switched that over and started actually bringing like good proper foods to school because I had researched the type of foods that help with like long-term endurance with the sure. brand and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so I put, variety. 100%. So I put this whole plan together that encompassed, I guess, all the elements that I thought were involved in making someone successful at school. Mm-hmm. And it started coming together within a term I went from a C minus average to a C plus average. The next term I re-strategized, redo it to a B minus average and a B plus average. And by term one year 10, um, I got my first report card of straight A's in physics, chemistry, maths, B, English, um, you know, big subjects. And, and I remember getting up and they announced my name for an academic effort award and the entire cohort laughed. They thought it was a joke because this transformation had happened so quickly that I went from being the clown of the class to like the top and ever since then all of a sudden it was like I was one of the top people there that's great and so that kind of um, triggered it and then from then every single term I kept revising tweaking 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 and um, by the time I got to grade 12 my swimming had taken off and um, I posted a time at the junior pan packs which was the fastest time of any 17 year old ever in the 100 freestyle um, so it broke the record there for the 18 and under when I was 17 and so essentially I was the fastest in the world for my age at that point in time in swimming. So I'd achieved like the highest you can get for age of swimming. Yeah. Um, then I also went to the school world games and, and broke like the record in the 53 there and one and one four other events as well. So I'd done it a couple of times and then my schooling, I finished on an OP3, which was pretty good considering um, I got straight A's, but I was never at school because I was always traveling for athletics. And, and an OP, swimming. OP3, just for people who are not like myself, I'm from Great yeah. Britain and, and in New Zealand, how does that stack up? Is that like it? And it could be me just being yeah. a little bit unintelligent here, but it's that standardized it's um, a ranking, yeah. So, OP1, OP1 is, is the best, 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 best. That's straight A pluses. And, and, and R25 so, is the worst. I see. So so uh, do you, do you have the A plus pluses in, in Australia? You have A plus no, plus? Just A plus. See, because when I was studying New Zealand, they had A plus plus. And I thought it was a joke because my friend said to me one day, yeah, no, no, because he went, oh, I'm, I got an A plus plus. And I was like, no, you didn't. I got an A plus, you got an A plus. And he's like, no, no, I got an A plus plus. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, it's 97% above, 95% A plus. So that's why I always ask because you never know <laughs> if there's another. So basically, OP3, OP1's the best. It's straight A plus. It's like just yeah. the best. And then OP2's. Like, like a A's, A's and, and A's A's three is like A minuses, a four is A minuses and B okay. pluses. Cool. There then it goes away. Twenty five is like E's. Okay. Um, so for people listening, they can. I'm sure that there's a scale that universally mm. works. Generally, it was like an A minus average. Um, yeah. That's probably the easiest way to put it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then I finished. Good. <laughs> yeah, it was it was good for balancing the sport at the same time because like. The thing was, um, what made me go from second to nationals to the fastest in the world was when I was 15, I went to nationals and got a heap of silver medals again for the mm. third year in a row. I was, I was really frustrated. Like I literally got silver by like 0.01 in one of my events, but it was like such a small amount. And so after that, I decided at that point, I was like, I'm going for God, I want to be the best now. So when I turned 16, I, I said, well, how am I going to do that? I need to do more training than anyone's ever done before in this. And I drafted out 30, this schedule, which was 30 training sessions a week. Most swimmers do nine in the water, 
maybe 10 and three gym. I was doing 11 swim in the water, six weight sessions, six run sessions, two Pilates, two core, two power sessions, and all added up to 30. Mm. And I did that for six months straight without missing a single session. And I literally dropped three seconds. And I was already the second fastest in Australia, so I dropped mm. three seconds from there. Put me in like super elite territory. And so that was where, that, that was what sort of got me there in the end. And that's where I started learning when I left there that like, you know, hard work equals results in anything and that it's developed. Mm-hmm. So then from there I went into university, um, studied exercise science, um, wanted to learn more about how the body worked and pretty much every subject except one I got PhDs for. Um, there was a couple where I ducked out of 900 students and it was literally just because I was willing to put in far more work than they did and I was strategizing the way I did everything. Yeah. So you had that, you had, like you said, you had the structure before, you had a plan, mm-hmm. you had systems and processes in place because you were working smarter as well. Like you understood, it, yeah. you understood what worked. So you're like, if I do that, now I've got the formula or I just need to scale it. And then you just do it more. And then, you know, well, if I put that in, I get that. So if I put double that in, I'm going to get exactly the right. And that's what I learned is most people that did well at school and did well in life had a process, but they didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. They did it, but they didn't know that they did it. They the only difference was I defined it. And when you define something, you can develop it. Oh, yeah. And you can take it to a whole new level. And so, that, that's what I found there. And so, anyway, back onto it, I ended up missing the London Olympics by um, three spots. But then I've got a whole other story behind why I think that was. Like when I became the fastest in the world for my age, um, I started getting all these sponsors. I had Fitness First sponsoring me at one stage. I had all these supplement companies sponsoring me. Mm-hmm. And um, I started to like believe the media and everyone that I was like gifted and special and talented. And so what I do, I stopped training 30 times a week and I went back to doing what everyone else did, nine and three. Yeah. And never improved again in swimming. Because the rest of my career, I, I couldn't, I was too young. I didn't have the wisdom to work out. It hadn't clicked yet. And so what happened was I never went faster than when I was 17 all the way through. Um, and so looking back, I can see what everyone, but at the time I was, I started blaming her and blaming my coach, blaming this person, this person, it was all their fault mm-hmm. without realizing that it was actually me. You know, I, I started falling for my own delusion that I was a super talent that was just naturally better at everyone. Yeah, you know? just taking that ownership. Yeah, and I, and I was lucky. I'm glad I learned that because I was able to bring it into my, into my life now and use it now. So, so, so just missed the line Olympics and at, and at that point, um, I was starting to go into medicine because I want to be a surgeon and I was working with a surgeon as well as like his research assistant and I was able to go in once a month and see how surgery was. Oh, that would have been interesting. So at least... Well, he had pretty much like said, you know, if you get through your degree, your med degree and do this and this, like there's a good chance you can come work for me. So... What a, what a sort of, was he a general surgeon or did he specialise? Yeah, he's an osteo, so he did like bone surgeries. And right. With some pretty full... He always did like the back fusions of the discs right. and everything like that. Yeah, that would have been pretty exquisite to see that sort of thing. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great experience and I loved it. But um, what actually stopped me going down that pathway was, was a year before that. Um, I was looking at a way to, I wanted to get a job that I liked. I'd worked in all these places and being ADD and being an entrepreneur, I was a bad employee. I, everywhere I'd go, I'd end up like not getting shifts or getting fired because I would just see issues and be like, what can I be doing this? And then I'd get in trouble for it. So I never fitted in anywhere. Like I lost my first job, um, which was on the Gold Coast because I cleaned the place wrong. You know, I got it clean at the end of the day, but I, I did it you know, in the wrong way and it was faster than what they wanted. And there was like some, some issue about like some of the things that we worked with. But, um, so I got fired for like a stupid reason essentially and that I didn't agree with, but I had no say because I was a 17 year old kid. Yeah. 
And so I was like, well, I want to do something that's, that's rewarding, that's fun. I don't want to, I used to be that guy that just clock watch the whole shift and I'd be like, I can't wait till it's over one minute, two minutes, you know. Yeah. Whereas, I, and so what I did was I was like, well, I've always liked helping others. Like, so why don't I teach kids how to do well at school? That's what I worked out. Um, there was no coaching jobs in swimming because you needed to go through your qualifications and that, and I didn't have the time for that, so I'm going to do some tutoring. And this was back when tutoring wasn't really a thing. It was very new. It was, you know, right now tutoring was huge, but back then it was like, it was a bit of a joke business. Like, people would think it was cute that you were doing tutoring. Oh, yeah, it's one of those. It was one of those, yeah. So I started tutoring, and um, I researched everything online, how to tutor, how to do all this, applied for all the different companies. No one even got back to me. And so I was like, all right, I better start my own. So I made up this post-up and I called my business quality tutoring. And <laughs> start simple, brother. So I put these posters all over like the Gold Coast. It was yeah. all over. I went to Bonnie and put it on every poster I could. I went to like cars and put them on their windshield wipers. And um, I actually went to one school in the Gold Coast and I put it in every car in the car park. And the principal personally called me and told me off. He was like, you can't do this without permission. Marketing, what? He's like, I've had a hundred parents call me and ask me what the surface is. Like, he's like, they're interested, but I, I had to say no to them because I don't know who you are. Oh. And I was like, oh, oh should have rang me. I <laughs> know. Uh, so, um, so that was interesting, and and I finally got my first client. Um, Just out of interest, is that school now on your books? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, <laughs> that's great. I, I did a talk at their school only a few weeks ago. Actually, I told the story. I was just gonna say you got it. That's you. That's great. You got to bring that sort of stuff up. I feel like that would resonate <laughs> with a lot of the students. Yeah. You know? Well, the funny thing was, I actually got clients from that. So my first client was from that. They yeah. called me over from it, and they went to that school. And this particular year, I was on a on a D for Mass A, and you know, I spent a heap of time like teaching her, trying to get her to work. And we went from like a D to a D plus or a C minus or something. It barely moved, and I convinced them on like another term, like we can do this. And I had this idea. I was like, well, normal tutoring didn't work. Everything I read online didn't work. What What would just to segue as well quickly to interject? What would you What would you constitute or define as normal tutoring, or what was the standard yeah. for tutoring back then versus? Um, it still is today. We're the only ones doing it differently. That's the thing that I can't get my head around. It's like, it was like a band-aid approach. So it was going, oh, you don't know how to do that math question. Here's how you do it. It wasn't getting to the core reason of why they couldn't understand it when they were meant to learn it at school and changing that. Yeah. So you would give them the answers and then eventually you train them to be independent on you. So then they have to come to you to get you to a different pass because they need the answers. Like, whereas what I did, I started noticing, well, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm Every week I'm teaching her and she's, you know, but then the moment I'm not there, she doesn't like get it. And so the next term when I came back, I said, all right, well, let's go back to fundamentals. And so I, told, I brought out my old strategies of how I was studying my relationship with teachers, the whole thing. And mm-hmm. I said, we're gonna, let, let's create, let's turn you into an A student first before you become an A student. Mm-hmm. I like it. So I gave her all the strategies of an A student, how it works, what I did personally, because back then it was pure, there was no research really apart from what I had done on Google and things and talking to my cousin who did well at school. And, yeah. and so I taught her that and then we did. So can we, can, while we're on it, can we break that down? Yeah. Can, exactly. you, can, you, can you get into the, the nitty gritty with that, into the weeds? Yeah. So I like how, how you do it and how you, like your your processes, because I'm sure there's yeah. like, people like listening out like, ask the question, man. Like, <laughs> what's the secret sauce? Because you know there's no secret, but I think this is a good point because then you can explain like the strategies and I guess the principles and the protocols. Yeah. Like, like anything, like you, you know the formula. So essentially it was a three-stage formula. The first one was, I needed to make, I needed to shift her perspective. So she needed to believe that she could achieve A's. 
Yes. But she never believed she could. She just thought she was a C student. Mm -hmm. So I got her to build confidence and motivation that she could achieve A's. And then through that, the next stage was, all right, well, now that you know how to do it, now that we've got that confidence there, um, let me teach you the actual strategies. We bring out the blueprint. So that had nine core modules, which we taught. The first one was the mindset of an A student. How do they view the world? How do they see things work? Teaching her how they actually view success, you know, from like what it creates. The second one was um, actually setting up like creating the base, which to me means like building a team of support around you. So it was teaching her how to build a relationship with her teacher, with her parent, you know, with, with myself and how to utilize all of us to actually help her succeed and keep her on. So it was, it was teaching them how to build a team so they don't, they're not alone. The next strategy was time management and goal setting, how to actually goal set, how to time manage, how to do that. The next one was looking at where she was studying and where she was learning and then actually going, well, let's be strategic about where you do that so that you can optimize your study time. I see. So we moved it from a couch in front of a TV to like a, an actual room where we designed a desk for motivation and stuff all around it. Ah, so, okay. I just want to jump in because this is really good. So you could, and we can use any object for this. You, you started from the most potent, um, topic or element if you like that had the biggest effect and then you work your way up like yeah. a staircase or a pyramid yeah. right so you were like hey okay this, this is like the most this is gonna have the biggest effect then from there it's this so once we've mastered this then we do this then we do this and that's kind of the order of priority and then once you nail them all that's when things start moving yes good because it's a holistic thing right i like it because i that's know the audience that listening will, will resonate with that because that is how i was taught mm. with the success of the training and the nutrition, etc. And again, there's a couple of different theories, but again, people often use that pyramid. So I, I really like that. Um, that's that's good. So continue on with that. Well, so, I had to restructure from the ground up. Yeah, you have to, like you said, you have to build those foundations mm. because if you don't, it will always fall down. Exactly. Because like you said, it's the band-aid approach mm. rather than the actual, well, what, what's what's the rule behind it? What's the principle, right? So it's people go, oh, I ate, I ate, um, I ate that food and it made me lose weight. No, it didn't. The food didn't make you lose weight. The food maybe helped you get in a calorie deficit and the calorie deficit yeah, actually is what made you lose weight. So it's understanding the mechanisms of what creates a grades, yes. essentially, as yes. opposed to just being smart. And, yeah. and that's what my whole business is about, is unraveling that. So um, back to those strategies. So once we did goal setting time management, we then look at learning languages. So understanding what is her special way of learning and then one, teaching her how she learns and how we learn as human beings, not just like changing it, but actually teaching her, not just like from a basic level, either, like neurologically, how does the, biologically, how does it work? Mm. You know, like learning language is one of the most fascinating things ever. It's how we're getting some of our best results. Like what I love about it is if you think about it, all we are as humans is like a central machine that has five like modalities that it actually picks up senses which is our five senses, our touch, taste, smell, sight, hearing. Those five senses are the only way we can engage with the world. Therefore, they are our learning languages. Mm. They're, the, they're our learning pathways. Mm. You know, as humans, we're quite weak with smell and taste. So we tend to push those to the side because our ability there is quite weak. Whereas a dog can sniff something and know everything that's been there for two weeks. So yes. they have a very strong connection. That's preference. Yeah, with us, like the way schools have been defined is 75% of the classroom is, is a teacher talking at kids. 20% is them watching a PowerPoint or watching something, and 5% is them actually being kinesthetic and moving and feeling things. Mm. So they generally become our learning languages. So instead of me going, let's favor one, I go, well, you have all three, 
because your neurons are like muscles. The more you use them, the more those pathways develop. Correct. So let's get you using those pathways and build you up holistically so that you can learn at a more efficient rate, at a faster rate, and for longer. So is, is this then why they say, and you can tell me if this is true with your experience, that people who are more sporty and creative are better learners because they can access those kinesthetic if you're in sport or like musicians auditorial again you're accessing that sort of pathway yeah, this is, is that right, yeah. is that kind of now because i'm just making connections now i'm, <laughs> I'm learning this like i'm sitting here taking it in as well yeah uh, for the people listening it's not just the, the i've not heard all this before and i can resonate because i always struggled as someone to learn as well and it took me a while to figure it out and i still think there's more you know which yeah. is why i'm yeah uh, i think fascinated by a lot of things that you're saying and a lot of them are kind of like oh there's like light bulbs going up in my head because i'm making these connections and correlations from my prior experiences so yeah yeah, that that makes sense um again from a physiological perspective but then also like an anecdotal or an experience-based perspective of yeah that would that would make sense exactly i just remember my music teacher always saying oh yeah he's like um he just read some stats out someday i can't remember to quote him but he was just like yeah people who are you know, more sporty or they are more physically active and they participate in music or they play an instrument, generally are more academically, you yeah. know, primed for success. And I was always like, oh, why are you all that? Whole repertoire. Yeah. yeah so that, it's sense. interesting when you look at this because if you actually look at who gets the academic awards at school, usually 75% of them also get a music award. Yeah, it's a violinist and pianist. Why is that? Because they're, <laughs> because they're, they're, having, to tu- they're having to listen to tunes and tone in and, and learn, okay, if I change here, it makes this sound, if I change here, it makes this sound. That is no different sitting in a class when a teacher's talking for 75 minutes and just being able to listen for that long. Whereas a normal kid that has no music doesn't have the endurance to, to focus in for that long. Yeah. It, they don't have the focus to do it. And so, so it kind of revolves around speed, how quickly you can learn uh, memory, how well you can remember from that pathway. Mm-hmm. And then three, the clarity of it and the efficiency of it. So. You know, it's the more you utilize that learning pathway, the clearer that becomes and the better you become in learning that way. Now, A students, the best students who can go anywhere in the world and do successful are strong in all three, which means they can cater to any learning environment. So they're like, they're very dynamic and yeah. quickly to adapt. And this is why you also have a lot of athletes who do very bad in school too, because they become incredibly kinesthetically gifted. And so they can learn really well through touching things and feeling things while I fiddle with this because I was an athlete. Yeah. So this helps me focus better. Even just touching it triggers the touch nerve neurons, which helps me focus and say, come. Which, but you put me in a room. I never did music. So if you put me in front of a teacher, that's why for nine years I, I struggled and failed because I couldn't focus. And I, I was so weak at listening. Even now, I lost my first job because I couldn't listen to instructions. And so it's taken me five years of sales and customer service in this business where I've spoken to thousands of clients every single year to actually build up my ability to listen. And I listen to podcasts, like three hours a day of podcasts and, and audiobooks to, to build up my listening ability so that you know I can become really good at learning in that way. Mm. I was always good with visual because I grew up around art and did a lot of art as a kid. My dad did a lot of drawing with us and I love to create stuff. Um, so as a business owner and as a person, I'm trying to become, because to me, like the, the, the most successful of a lot of the past is learners. And, and that's really what intelligence is. It's defined as how quickly you can learn. Yeah, how quickly you can pick things up. Yeah, so I'm, like, I'm trying to develop strength in all, all of them, except taste and, and, and smell, like, don't really interest me. But I'm never going to use them anyway because they're so weak versus the other one. So, 
Anyway, back to that, because we can talk more about, about that later, but I, that was the fifth strategy. That's, that, that's the turning point when you actually start introducing proper strategy to these kids and they go, oh, okay, this makes sense. Sure. Um, it's like an arrowhead approach yeah. to get to the sharp end of the pencil. Yeah. Like, yeah. So after that, we then teach them the actual how to learn. So the, not just, well, not just learning languages, but how to actively, like the, it's called metacognitive skills. Metacognitive, meta meaning like, you know, think. So how to think about thinking. So it's like teaching them how to think about it, like a two, a three D dimension of learning. So it's all right. Well, I know I can learn through learning languages, but what process can I follow to turn that short term into long term memory? So we teach them how to study effectively without okay. wasting time. Um, then after that, we go through assignment strategy, exam strategy, and then we finish on stress burn, like the the management of stress and burnout and failure. That's the final module we teach them because that's the undoing of most high performers is they don't know how to manage that. They've never failed before, they've never stressed. Like we're talking about Roger Rousey, who's another classy one, who was phenomenal in her entire career. The moment one failure was there, she just completely crumbled. Like that module is like built purely for people like that, that, you know, who may have gone by talent, because I don't really think talent really exists. I think talent's developed from a really young age, doing those skills over and over and over again. We see that through like, you know, professional service, who started serving when they were one. Tiger Woods played golf when he was two. My brother started swimming in a squad of four. These guys, my brother's Cameron McAvoy, the water record holder in the freestyle. Um, so these guys are like, with the, you know, without the cheaters. Yeah, um, <laughs> for sure. Because there's, there's two world records in that now. There's the non-cheaters world record, which he has, and then there's the cheaters world record. Yeah, I, I, is that, that was the thing, though, because I, I did hear, like, actually about that, that that suit did increase the speed. Like, like heaps, man. So much, like, over a second and a hundred. Yeah, which is amazing with technology how you can Please, play so in one year every single world record was broken well i heard that and again correct me if i'm wrong just quickly that this th those professional swimming suits can take up, like up to 40 minutes to get on like they're yeah. like is that right is that right i mean i don't know someone's telling me one time I'm like, yeah they are they yeah, actually like, are yeah they're that small and then that's we apparently to, we just we had to change our warm-up we had to warm up extra early just so we get into our suits in time to race yeah and you only wear them like Apparently they're only good for like so many races and then they stretch yeah, about them. ten and they cost a thousand dollars each. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, they don't exist anymore. Like they took them out because it was yeah, like, yeah, it was an unfair advantage. But um, I'm glad they took it out. But it did definitely shake the sport up. A lot of those suit records have been broken now, but there's still a heap that are there. Mm. Um, that are, that are still there. So anyway, back to what I was talking about. Yeah. So then once. Once I teach them those strategies, we then formulate their own plan and then I, I become their accountability coach. My job is to be a tutor, but essentially keep them accountable to those strategies um, and mentor them through. And so that, that is the full transformation process, um, essentially. There you go. So that's what I did with her. Um, and then the way my business sort of grew from there was then I got her best friend and we got her for so six you, you days. So you just replicated that. You were like, cool. Yeah. Found the formula, yeah, found the process, and then replicate it. And that, and that obviously still stands today. Yeah, well, well, that's I mean, I'm sure you can find it, but like <laughs> so much. Like, at the start, it was like a lot more simple than it is now. And then by the end of my first year of tutoring, I had 16 kids who barely passed or get straight A's. And um, from the end of 2011 to the start of 2012, when school went back, I had 250 parents call me and ask me to tutor their kids, and that's how my business started. Because then, and that's when I quit that medical job where I was working with the surgeon because I was spending most of the shifts with them doing sales calls. Um, and I just was like, I can't do this. Um, and so then I focused just on my business. I dropped out of uni. I was about three quarters of the way through. 
um, grew from myself to then eight staff in my first year, then 18 the next, then 44, then 56, then 66, then 120, and now we have 153, um, and we're still growing. And all we've done is replicate it. But over the years, I've invested, you know, well over 100K into research and development of the program. We've built it right out, and, and we've built a platform where we can bring, like, practitioners, so people who were successful at school or uni, bring them and teach them why they were successful, give them the program, which makes them more successful at uni. So, mm. And then they train students the way I did. Um, so we have 153 in just four cities at the moment. We've just moved into two new cities um, this year, Ipswich and Toowoomba. But we've got like 50 tutors in Brisbane, um, 70 or 80 on the Gold Coast. And so they pretty much go out and spread this message. And so our new vision for our company is, is by 2025, we want to have um, 1,500 tutors all over Australia and we're tutoring 10,000 students and giving them the secrets to success. Not just giving it to them, but actually transforming them. Um, and then eventually become like an influential, one of the most influential education entities um, within school. Yeah, like a mastermind almost. Yeah, like essentially. And so that's kind of where we're going. And, and, and since then we've had some pretty heavy hitters want to get involved and mm. I've had like eight times people have tried to buy the business, different investment groups from Sydney and stuff. Um, it's had a lot of interest, but the people, what people don't get is like, um, everything we do is like customer centric. Like every single thing we do is about how can we get a better outcome for our client, whether that's a better transformation, a faster transformation, better customer service and retention. Yep. Um, you know, whatever that is. So you know, with, within that, my, my, I don't really care about the money. It's really about can we create a legacy? Can we create a complete movement? Because if we can change 10,000 Australian kids a year and turn them into A students, because this program sets you up for life. It teaches you how to be successful in life. Well, that's it. Imagine you never stop learning, really. Yeah, and um, now, like, um, to make it even better, we've got some of the biggest schools in Queensland, like TSS and Nudgee in Brisbane. Um, we've got JPC in Brisbane. The Australian Boarding School Association is partners with us, um, where these schools actually pay us to come and integrate this program with their entire boarding school. And we do that every single week with them across the year. I so mean, now schools are paying us to do this with them as well. The beautiful part too, because I mean, at the end of the day, schools want to produce grades because they want more students. And when parents are making decisions, they want to know that well where they're going to send their students. That's it. And we, we were the um, we're the first tutoring company in history to partner with more than one school. So um, now we're nineteen. So yeah. And so the other thing is, we want to partner with as many schools as we can. There's two hundred boarding schools that we're looking at um, that we want to work with Absa to get into. Mm. So that's kind of my life story and, and, and how I've gotten to here. So essentially, you know, an ADHD kid that failed year one to nine created the highest performing tutoring company in Queensland. <laughs> I love that. That's one of the reasons why I want to get you on here because I love, I mean, not more but an underdog or someone who was, no one expected anything from and then they achieve something which now I guess we it's better so you're revolutionizing the industry mm. you would what I would identify as a pioneer you're someone who's going forward with new concepts ideas strategies processes with passion something that's very personal to yourself which is probably why to just loop back on what you said there about investors wanting to take over the business it'll never work if they take over the business because they don't have that passion like you are 18 nutri uh, tuition you know what I mean I was going to say nutrition then tuition <laughs> that's a future <laughs> nutrition on the hey that's an A that's the next one right but yeah you, you are the brand 
and if it doesn't come from you and that drive or someone who had that same passion and that same drive and I don't think it'd be where it was today and I don't think it's going to grow to be I'm sure what the future success of it that it is and look there's so many little interesting hooks there that jump out at me specifically from what you just said I think um, just a couple of things that are bubbling in my mind is a lot of the misconceptions because again I can relate again I've I've never been that gifted or talented I'm using air quotes here for people who can't see person it was something that I had to work out as well and I think there's still there's always a way to improve the systems, but someone who has dramatically improved it. Now, when I was studying in school, there was a lot of notions going around that, hey, men are a bit slower than women. Like that seems to be a general consensus, like women learn faster because we know that they develop a little bit faster. Is that true or is that just a lot of BS? Is that like a wives tale? Or is that no, actually yeah. found that, that so, something that we so a little bit yeah hundred percent a lot of our partner schools are, are like ones where you've got like all boys or all girls mm. or co-eds um, and to give you a bit of an idea like so our boys all boys schools um, the average grade improvement we have across the board with every kid we work with is eighteen percent um, in one year which is a whole grade it's a kid it's like all of them on average going from a C to B um, with girls it's thirty seven percent. So we can get a lot of the girls from C's to A's. And whether that is um, whatever it is, like I, I found that maybe through what I've done, a lot of the girls are probably two years advanced on the boys at that age. And so they're at a point where they take it more seriously. They're more willing to um, implement the strategies and, and go forth with it on an average yeah. versus a lot of the boys. Um, personally, like I like working with both because they both share different concepts. The boys are so much more energetic and fun and, and the way we've motivated them is we get them in competition with each other. Yeah. Whereas with the girls, they, they want to all be friends and team buddies and, and they want to work together to get these results. Yes. So it's interesting um, when you compare like, I guess, agreeableness and non-agreeableness, like male, like the boys tend to be more um, non-agreeable and they want to go in competition and battle each other and prove who's better and get better grades than each other. Um, whereas the girls are more agreeable, they want the whole team, they're more nurturing naturally if you're gonna have um, kids, they, they're more natural yeah. you know, to be to be marked. Exactly. And we, I find that they work better together. But ultimately it is interesting because the girls do um, get better results. And that's just purely from a data perspective. Well, that's that's what I was uh, wondering about because obviously you've got the, the experience and you've got the, the actual data there. Yeah, yeah, the data actually looking as tangible and all, yeah, that is the case. I don't know whether that, again, from experience, uh, from a physiological perspective, whether they develop and whether it's because you get up, that there's a different capacity or maybe it's because girls learn differently. Like mm. men are usually a little bit more hands-on where women are not so much or perhaps they're usually better listeners. That's a generalization, I know. I don't know whether that's got something to do with it or it may. I found, I think as well personally, that when I reached, I again struggled to, I had to really work at it, you know, to sort of get good grades, apart from the things I really enjoyed. And I remember I had a careers, careers advisor at college actually, he was a funny character, he took me from maths. And uh, we used to just get him talking about BMWs or property and uh, we'd never do any maths because uh, <laughs> he was really distracted <laughs> by it. So that was a, probably not a great thing in hindsight, but um, nonetheless, we learned a lot of important life skills to me um, from him. But he said to me something, he said before I left, he said, you'll find that when you get around your early 20s, 
um, your learning capacity will greatly increase. And I said to him at the time, why is that? And he said, again, look, I've just found in my time, my experience that guys, the way they develop are a little bit slower, but your brain, your capacity to learn, for some reason when you get in your early 20s just changes around. Now, mm. I did find that sort of my early to mid 20s, there was a shift. I don't know whether that I was, I took things more seriously or I made a decision. Again, I'm not saying that this is a given rule or a principle, but I did find that my capacity to learn almost shifted dramatically. It wasn't over a given day, I think it was over a period of time. But at the same time, looking back on it objectively, I can say that the systems and processes were probably part of the success, but my attitude changed. Mm -hmm. I, I really wanted to learn, or I really wanted to make improvements. So, I did the daily disciplines, I set up the systems and the processes. And again, I always, I was a curious kid. So I was always like, there's gotta be more, you know? And I was always told that everyone was equal. Everyone was kind of the same, but then why couldn't I be as good as the smart kid? Why couldn't I be as popular or as muscular as this kid or that kid or this, that and the other? We kind of have this um, misconception, I think, when we're young. And some of us, unfortunately, as adults still have it, these limiting beliefs where we cap our potential and we think, well, I wasn't born with that, like you said before, like these talents, these natural gifts, which as we know now, you know, talent is great, but hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. And, or, or That's why we teach the philosophy of success, like to, right. to break that. And, and it's interesting when you say that because um, everything that we've done is designed off a education model that I, that I love, which is what ATAR, which is the biggest thing in you know, the, the, the Australian, you know, um, tertiary bank essentially, is built up, which is a, a model from a guy called Robert Mazzano, and it was called the Taxonomy of Education Objectives. So it's a, it's a fairly simple model, but it says we learn in three stages. We learn through stage one, which is um, self-belief and importance. So that is, um, before we can learn anything, we have to actually believe that we can learn it, we have the ability to learn it. We have to, too, believe that it is important for us to learn it. And that's where most kids get lost as, as young boys growing up is they're more interested in sport and school and, and, and those, those other areas that aren't academics. And you just said, when I got to 20, I actually became interested in doing well. And so that is the, that, that moment where you've gone, okay, this is important to me, now I have to do that. Whereas girls seem to get that earlier at school. Yeah. You know, and that's the first stage. Then once there's the self-belief and the importance of learning, they go through to the next stage, which is metacognitive processes. So this is, okay, well, how am I going to learn this? Hmm. So how do we learn this? What's my strategy? Am I going to read books on it? Am I going to watch YouTube videos? Am I going to speak to my teacher? Am I going to, you know, because you're not just going to learn it anyway. Exactly. And, and that's what makes us different as humans. We have this three-dimensional way of thinking where we can think about how we think, whereas animals don't have that. That's why when animals cross the road, they they just know in their head it's a two D mindset. I've just got to cross the road, and they don't think about how they're going to cross the road. A lot of them just go. Yes. Whereas we can think about I've got to cross the road. How am I going to cross the road? Am I going to walk? Am I going to run? Am I going to crawl? And then we can go three. Is there any risks in if I go now? So we have like these layers of thinking that animals don't have. So it's about getting kids to understand those layers of thinking and making them the most efficient and effective of learning that content. Um, and as we get older as males, we tend to get we tend to know ourselves more and develop our identity and understand who we are and how we learn and that all comes. And then finally, once that's in place, you've got the actual curriculum of what you're learning and structuring it, um, which is the cognitive processes. And that's what the school curriculum is. You know, it's looking into those different areas. So that the, the schools are kind of on the third step of 
we need to aware of saying first two, yeah. we, we need to get people doing the first two stages almost before they get into school yeah. so they're learning at a certain capacity. And the best schools are doing it because they use leadership programs to develop self-confidence and like a mission and a purpose of being in school. Mm. And then this the middle, it's made metacognitive. There's no way really, there's no one, actually there's all these little random, oh, we're gonna do a study strategy seminar, oh, we're gonna do a how to do assignment seminar, but there's nothing else apart from us that puts it all in one place, like a blueprint. Yeah. Um, and that's why schools are hiring us for that middle stage because we are that blueprint. So we literally just go in and, and give them that blueprint and we're that solution. Yeah. Um, and that's what's made us take off so much in the school sector. Um, we're starting four to five new schools on every three months, which is insane. Um, you know, I remember what, for the first five years of 18, I went and pitched at about a thousand schools every term and got rejected by every single one of them for three years. And so now we're signing five a term, it's like incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> I guess that comes with that credibility that you've now built up and refining the systems where like you said it's you know you get results one person turns into two turns into three again, again it's it's changed because you know people now believe it right you've got these tangible results if a school or a student turns around and goes well you know how good are you what have you done you can go well take a look at x y and z i think it's good to have a bit of a variety because people will relate to different people and different institutions and schools might relate so it's almost like it's that momentum sort of rule or that principle, right? Once you build that momentum, it always almost becomes unstoppable. It's like people who are, <laughs> if you're really well known, you go out to a restaurant, you don't pay for anything, but it's backwards, right? Because if anyone's going to afford the meal, it's the celebrity. Yeah. But you go and then you can't pay for anything. So it's like, <laughs> you know, you get to a point with the business where you're that, you have that much credibility. Everyone wants to work, to work with you. Like you can turn it down business. So it's, it is a bit of a paradox of how that works. Um, so what are, what are some of the trials and tribulations that you faced then, to, to go back to what you just said, when you were going around pitching to the schools, why do you think most of the, the schools wouldn't take you on at that time? Is it because you didn't have enough credibility or you didn't have enough results to show? Or is it just that, uh, that apprehension of, oh, we, we're, a bit, um, we're a bit hesitant at the moment because you, you've not built up that following? or the history that you now have. Yeah, I guess it's like going into a bank and going, I need a million dollars to expand my business, but you haven't started a business. They're like, well, you have nothing to show. There's no, what's the evidence this is gonna work? Yeah, what's the business plan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when I was 19 when I started my business, and I used to go around to schools in my, um, in my company shirt, um, shorts, and skate shoes, and wonder why I didn't get to get seriously. Um, the other thing too was good like, learning though I'm I know, sure good I, learning like, I, yeah I started wearing suits you know towards the end because I found that suits got me into at least a meeting with someone who could help me um, but the thing is you gotta remember schools get pitched at by like hundreds of people every week oh, yeah. and in the end of the day when a school partners with an association that's a massive message for their entire community so it's a big thing so it's very hard to get um, historically tutors and, and, and teachers were at war no one wanted to partner with each other because tutors would always try to power over teachers and say that they're doing it wrong and this is how it works. And yeah. teachers would always power over tutors and be like, your tutor doesn't know what they're doing. And so it was just biting heads. All I did, I said, well, why does that have to happen? Like, why can't we be a team? So I created an allied model where I was like, well, my tutor is going to teach your student how to build a better relationship with you and how to focus more on your class. So all of a sudden, instead of going to war with teachers, we became their tool and their asset, their ally. Um, so that was kind of what got over the door. But... I literally pitched at 
like thousands of schools, um, so many. And when I actually first got my first one was, because I started pitching at schools in 2012, but in 2015, I had 167 kids I was tutoring in TSS on the Gold Coast. Um, through no recommendation from the school, just because like word of mouth had spread from the results we got, and, mm-hmm. and, and it got there. Like I grew to fifty five staff working full like with full packed hours with their kids with zero marketing, not a single dollar, all just word of mouth. There you go. Which is so, the best referral. Exactly, grew that way. So, <clears throat> and so with with TSS, I, I the story of how I actually got in there was um, it was actually pretty funny because I thought, I remember sitting there going, man, I've done so many pitches and no one cares, it doesn't work, and you know, like, what can I do to actually get their attention? And I was like, well, I noticed that there was a heap of the boys that would get stressed in the boarding school and went before exams, and when one of them got stressed, they'd stress the others out, like a domino effect, and they'd all get stressed, and it was starting to frustrate me because they would all bomb out in exams, and it was because of a pre-exam stress. Yeah. And so I, I pulled this meeting with the head of boarding there, and was like, well, I want to just chat to you about this, is there a way we can manage this, because I'm my results are what I care about, and I was getting frustrated that these boys were putting all this work and then bombing last minute. It's like training all year for a race and then bombing on the race. Yeah. And you know, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's like all that wasted time. Exactly. For nothing. So I went and met with, with him, and um, the first thing he did was sit back in his chair and go, we're not partnering with any tutoring company. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not here for that anyway. Um, I'm here for this, and I pulled out, I pulled out this report, because I'd done a complete report on the school, um, with every student we'd worked with. And I'd found that across the six months that I'd worked with them, on average, they'd all gone up above rate at 80%. So I showed him this report and started going through it, and then all of a sudden the, the conversation changed to being like, hmm, this is interesting, hmm, okay, hmm, wow, wow, that's, yeah, cool. All right, well, I have this idea, what about if we did this? But then all of a sudden he was pitching to me this idea, yeah. which was, you know, we want to make our boarding prep fun, because. Before that, it was literally a teacher sitting there with the kids silently in class for two hours. And they, you know, when you sit, make kids sit silently, what do you think they do? They play games, they go on YouTube, they waste their time. Yeah. He was like, I can see this being a fun dynamic session where we actually teach kids how to learn and teach them these strategies that you do. And um, and then by the end of the meeting, we shook hands and we were partners. And that was our first school. We literally had 12 tutors in there two nights a week, um, working with all of grades seven and eight, yeah. and teaching them how to study, teaching them our program, going through. And um, the first year we did it was a massive success. And so then that got the attention of the Australian Boarding School Association, who I went and met with them and pitched them and said, this is what we do. And then they said, we want you in every boarding school in Australia as soon as we can. So since then they've been opening up doors to every school because they go around and they do an annual um, like report or an audit of every school. And one of the sectors is academic support. Mm-hmm. And so if they notice that a school is falling under there, they literally connect them with us. And we go and put a program and we bring them up. So we can, so we, we brought like um, like TSS, but their academic support is now one of the best you know in the country because of what you know they had boarding done there. He's done a fantastic job in it. Um, and the thing that I found is a lot of heads of boarding usually have like a like a business background. They're amazing business managers, but they're um, they're so busy doing so many things that the concept of having to find tutors, hire them, train them, put a program in, it's overwhelming. Is, is, is overwhelming and it's a waste of money because a lot of the tutors resign after three months because they're uni students. And so we were like this lifesaver where they can literally just outsource that problem to us and we manage the entire thing and do it very, very well for free, mm. essentially. You know, they can just send you, they just send students to us. Like we get about three students a week per school. We get an email from you know, the head of boarding going, hey, so-and-so struggling, can you hook up with the tutor? And then we connect with the parents and all that. So 
Whereas historically, they would have had to have gone, all right, well, let's hire a tutor, let's manage them, let's make sure they're actually good. Like, we just have that trust now where they can just send them to us and, and then within six months, the kid's getting A's and everyone looks good. So it's a win-win for everybody. It's, a, it's like, so it's a mutual benefit mm. rather than, and it's, I like what you said that before because it, is, it was a bit like an opposing battle of budding heads rather than has yes. the name team work as a team. So that's how we did that in right. opposites. And that made history because we were the first tutoring company to ever partner with, with schools. Yeah, because usually they're two separate entities. Mm. And like you said, competing rather than being a team. Which it took a long time to get it. Like, yeah. Which seems simple on paper, yeah. right? It's like, oh. It, it, well, I had this vision very early on. I was like, why aren't they working together? Like, they do the same. It's, they're a team. It's like, it's like being in a league, because everything for me goes back to league swimming. It's like having a gym coach, being in a league swimming, having a gym coach who hates your swimming coach. And a swim coach who hates your gym coach. It was the exact same thing. Like it was absolute madness that these guys were in war. Yeah. And a lot of the time it was just because of egos of tutors trying to be better than teachers. And the teachers, egos of teachers trying to be better than tutors. And it's like you're for different things. The teacher's teaching 30 kids and designs the curriculum and the direction of the class and all that. The tutor just individualizes it for that individual kid. Yeah. And and a lot it's like of like a time, specialist almost. Yeah. Rather than a generalist. And the other issue I had was for years, when I started a team, it was like, oh, you guys are a joke, your, your tutors aren't teachers. And I'm like, well, to me, teachers are just people that have studied a degree. Mm. You know, when, I, when you look into it, a lot of teachers, that was their second choice. They wanted to go into medicine or law or something bigger, and they went into teaching because they didn't get into it or because they lost interest in it. So I'd say like half the teachers out there are in it because they didn't get into what they wanted, then the other half are there because they want to be there, and they're, they're awesome teachers. Yeah, um, right. And so what I've done is I go find people who were straight A school, straight HD, like the top, the cream of the cream, the best guys who were the high performers, the practitioners that know what it takes to get grades. And the then ones who you have to get other grades or you don't get into the right like medical school, yeah. etc. And then I look for EQ, can they connect and teach? And I look for natural teaching ability. We then bring them on and we have an incredibly in-depth and rigorous training program that we put them through. So you pretty much break down. Yeah, we develop talent processes. Yeah, and then so on average, their grades go even higher because they start learning why they get the results they do and they refine it. And then our kids are actually learning from people who are where they want to be, yeah. not just any, you know, not just anyone with a degree. And so. To me, it took years to actually get that message across. And then nowadays, it's like taking off like wildfire. Everyone thinks it's great. Everyone's like, wow, that's such a good idea because they're young too and they're near their age and they're better role models. And I'm like, man, I've been saying this for a decade. Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah, on those walls. Like, it's a bit like, moly moly. And so, yeah, that was one of the other big barriers we had to overcome is like, well, they don't have a degree. It's like, well, life and parenting and everything in life is the sharing of stories. And that's all teaching is. Why do you need a degree to share a story yeah. and be able to help them? I mean, yeah. people think the piece of paper sometimes is, and look, there's a time where you do need the piece of paper, whether it's a legality, like if you're a lawyer Definitely. to practice law or you're a medical practitioner. But in terms of, like you said, educating, transferring and communicating information, let's like use Mr. Branson as always a favorite example, but has he got any business degrees? No, not at all. And the, but the thing is, like, <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's called experience. So, well, I looked at the entire undergrad and master's degree in teaching because uh, we've got connections. Born University is a partner, so I have access, yeah, but through the cancer data back access to them. And what I didn't realize is that like eighty percent of the whole degree is just relearning what you learn at school. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And then there's like very little on how we actually learn itself. So all I've done 
is I've had a qualified teacher who, you know, a couple of years ago, she was actually had a master's of curriculum development. So, and this is what a lot of people don't realize about industry is she was like the top when it came to experts. Mm. She literally helped me build the blueprints of our entire tutor training program because we took what was actually good in the, in the education degree, the you master's degree, quality. and then we put our stuff in there and we just created our own version of what it is. And, and the results speak for themselves. You know, we have 10, like 2,500 kids and eight so, students. Like, you can't argue that. Because you've got that, and I think this is a key thing with, with it, any area in life, I mean, whatever you want to be good at, you find that 20, like the 80, 20, 20% knowledge of the 80% of the job. Yeah. You find the concentrate, you find the potency of what works, and that is what you use because that's going to get you most of the results because that's what counts. Mm. There are so many examples in life where, especially studying, like most of like even, you know, when I was studying sports science, you look at how much of that I actually utilize now because I specialize now. So not that to disregard a lot of the information, but that's not the direction I took. So a lot of it wasn't really ever gonna benefit me because I would then be a bit more of a, like a generalist. But even then, I'd only retain so much information, but I would only, more importantly, or vitally, need that certain amount of information because a lot of the time, if you're gonna get a specific or if you're teaching something, and when you're communicating it to somebody, you need to give them the most value or the thing that's most relevant mm. to their situation at the time. Like for example, again, if you get a student and they are at that, you identify they, they don't know anything and they're at that sort of stage one, that's the stage you have to teach them first. We've been going back to this, look at what universities are. Yeah. Universities are businesses. And their key objective, when you ask them what their KPIs are, what do they measure, what do they advertise? They go, well, we're a good university because 75% of our students graduate. Yes. What about the fact, what about beyond that? What about that 75% of our students can go on and actually teach to like a phenomenal level and get kids to age, get kids to age? Yeah. Yeah. What about 75% of our surgeons can actually save thousands of lives? Yeah. What about like 90% of people can actually be lawyers that have like helped people that really need help? Why are we measuring university metrics? on how many of our kids get through. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty much the same way as going, 75% of our people were able to build completely for their degree. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I They're focusing this, on the wrong things, and this is what I try to say for ages. focusing on the numbers or the generalization yeah. to go, hey, we, we produce this, this many you know, qualifications or we have this many people through, but like you said, let's identify that and look at well, exactly how many of those people go on, not only within the industry that they study, but then also to be successful in. But that's, that's exactly why we partner with Bond Uni because they're one of the only ones that actually do. You go speak to them, they're like, we have this many people actually start businesses and become entrepreneurs yeah. after we leave. And that's tangible. Exactly. That's this many people results. you know, become like worldwide. You know, from the ones we've worked from, that, that's exactly why we went with, with Bond University was for that reason. And, yeah. and so well, that's why it's, it's got clout for a start. I don't know. And Bond University, they don't have a teaching degree yet that I'm aware of. So it's like, um, you know, we need like a teaching education sector. The whole thing needs a bit of a, a reshape anyway. It's well, it does, it needs a bit of a shake up and, and it needs to be, well, like, like, like anything, the industry, especially like in my industry, the industry standard needs to be raised. Um, because It's not sure. growing at the same rate as the, uh, I guess the, the other industries in the world. Yes. And I think like what we do as a business, we teach students how to game life, how to game the system, game sport, game life, game what it is. Um, I really like that term. Because it is, I, that's something I relate to. It is a game. Yeah. And, and to me, that's what school should be about. It's like teaching kids how to live in the real world. Like, well, it is. We, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you've got to make it fun. Because it is. Everything is just principles and formulas. And once you know and you understand the dynamics of them, you can manipulate them. 
Like exactly. obviously you can measure it, you can manipulate it. You know, why not? Why, why guess? Why use arbitrary data and numbers when you can know exactly, and then you know exactly if I do this, 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 one plus one plus one equals three. Well, mm -hmm. fucking why wouldn't you do that then? But it seems simple when we look at it like that. Like you said, you know, you've been banging on about these simple concepts and now everyone's like, oh, that's a good idea. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of seven years. Because right. now when we get, now when I speak to schools, they all think it's brilliant. They're like, what you did is so genius. And I'm like, man, I got told I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing by like so many people over so many years. All the great I got, hung up, <laughs> I got hung up on people on the phone when they would say like, like yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. And it's not till now that people are like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and you know how I got that? It was because I can actually put runs on the board, actually put results. That's it. You need to, to get the action speak louder than words at the end of the day. Sometimes yeah. you just got to get busy doing it, right? right? That's why there's no point in me preaching on about this. Yeah. What actually changed the game for us, this is the this is the turning point moment, mm. was in 2017, I refined the program enough that it was working like really consistently. Like 52% of our kids were getting A's um, and then 87 were getting B's. So we got it really working well. And so I partnered with a school, the Gold Coast Primary State High School, and I wanted to partner with the state school so that people didn't just go, oh, they've got money, that's why they did well. Um, because state schools is like, you know, anyone can go to state schools. Yes. And so I went there and we gave away a $5,000 tutoring scholarship. And essentially what we wanted to do was find the kid on ease and transform him into an A student. And then we wanted to attract the whole thing um, when you said ease, because I'm from the UK, uh, <laughs> at the lowest grades. No, I was thinking the drugs. <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> Sorry, see, you can tell where I come from. But uh, no, <laughs> you know, F's. popping a couple of E's. Some of there you go, that's bad. I was like, hang on, you want to take a drug deal? I mean, fair enough, you know? I mean, that's a good transformation. <laughs> just get them off the drugs. But, so, uh, we, no. so yeah, we did that, and essentially we, we found this, um, we ended up giving two kids a scholarship. There was, yeah. an a, there was an ASD student in grade 10 who was on D's, and then there was a girl who was um, pretty much on, on the lowest grade. And um, we went through, and the girl who was on the lowest grade, I remember her teacher saying to me, oh, there's no way um, so-and-so is going to, to get A's, let alone pass. And yeah. I mean, like, what do you mean? Like, one, she just doesn't have what it takes, you know? And, and yeah, the whole minutia. I like, couldn't, like... I couldn't pinpoint it down. And then I said, what actually is it? Like, give me the answer. She was like, well, I teach you this and the next day, like 75% of it's gone and then that, and then so she learns to lose it all. And when I actually got to know this girl, like it turns out that she was pretty much almost working full time at Domino's to fund, you know, to, to have money to fund things on her own personal life and going to school as a grade one student. So the first thing we did was we went in, changed her perspective, same with the boy, changed her perspectives. And by the time they left that orientation, they already knew they were students. And within three months, um, the girl who was getting asked and ease went from went to straight A's, and then the boy who was um, on D's with ASD, we got into A's by the end of the year. And then the coolest thing was we had Channel Nine cover the entire thing. I messaged Channel Nine and said, "Camera Mac boy's going to be there," and that got their attention. They came and filmed it, and so um, the whole Gold Coast got to see us, eighteen tuition, transform two kids into A students, and actually do what we said we were going to do. Mm. And that sent us like they gave us the credibility that 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 shot us up and even last year um sometimes we it just takes a little bit of a exposure break but it was always well, a risk you did before then that got to yeah, that it was six years before that but yeah. it was a risk because if it didn't work we would have looked like it is well this is you know with risk and reward and because that like we'll go to the we've been ranked the 71st 
um, best company run by someone under 40 in Australia mm. last year, which is pretty cool. So that's a good, um, great accolade. Yeah, number 71 in the top 100. So um, that was pretty cool to get. And this year we're going to try to get a lot higher than that. Yeah. So because we've had so much growth already in the last year. And then you just keep aiming, right? Sky's the limit. There is not. Yeah. We've opened up like three more cities since then and, and had like five times the amount of schools. And so I don't see why. Well, that's it. Why, why not? And it's great that you're making a positive difference um, because education is something that, you know, it is a gift that keeps on giving to a degree. But at the same time, you're doing something for the generations to come. You're creating a better world. Because if we can educate people more, we can identify those key things which make learning fun, then we can produce you know, better results, not only for our own lives, but in all different industries. So if we can, if you can replicate this in, on a world scale, I mean, there's no end to the results that it can grow. Let's find out your project is like, is like, how much can we actually improve Australia yeah. in general by teaching them how to And then look at the stats of, Australian students and averages and go, wow, you know what? I had an impact on that. And like it says, it comes back to what you said before, keyword, you want to create a legacy, something that will stand the test of time and be here long after you're gone and yeah. still still be doing, you know, people look back and go, oh, hey, he started this company, you know, back in. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then it'll be like 30, 29 or something, something crazy like that. will be living on Mars or something, especially if Branson gets that rocket there. But um, you, you reminded me of something I'll bring up. Okay, now there's, there's a book from what you were just talking about that if, if anyone, for anyone who wants to improve, should listen to, and it's called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Ancourt. And the reason why it's so influential is Sean is a, is a teacher himself, he's an educator, and he's out at, I believe it's Harvard in America, one of the most well-known schools, but he started studying people who were above average and were happier than normal. So he found that the problem with the system, just like in education, is that people were trying to get from below average students or people who were like psychologists who are suicidal just to be average. But he thought, well, that's backwards. Because what about the outliers? The outliers generally ruin graphs for mm. scientists. They just sort of like this nice, you know, um, average, and that's generally what how things are taught. Like we find the average, we'll teach to that. But what about the people below and above? And everyone's like, yeah, well, we need to get the below to the average. But what about those people who are performing really high? And they get forgotten about. So Sean actually started studying these people. Kind of like you, you study these people who are doing really well. And he found the core principles to happiness. And again, it's this disbelief like education, like, oh, he's just gifted or she's just smart. You know, it was always that person at school, like, yeah, they're, they're the smarty pants or whatever the name you used, wherever you're from. And he found just like education, no, there was a formula. There was a reason why these people were happy. Yeah. And um, he breaks it down. So for anyone and listening as well or watching, Definitely recommend that, and I think that's a great compliment to, to the conversation and the work you're doing, very much so in this industry, because not only are you bringing these concepts to light, but you're backing them up with actual evidence as well, which, again, is what, why it works, right? Now, to get a bit more specific to the questions, you've mentioned a little bit about your swimming and your background in health and fitness and how that correlates to what you do now. Can you talk to us a little bit more about how going through that process and going back into health and fitness and as we met you know, in the gym at EMF, how that's helped you increase your body composition now um, in terms of the more the weight training world, you know, the nutrition and the sleep 
um, specifically, and perhaps for people who are listening that are wanting to improve their body composition and wanting to learn or be able to ingrain these habits, maybe some tips and techniques that you could sort of recommend from your experience, if you will. Yeah, well, it's been interesting because um, from 12 to 23, I had like a hardcore eight pack. Like super shredded, was always laying at school. I was always the kid with like the epic body that was a swimmer. Um, and then from 23, 24, 25, when I finished swimming, um, I just like stacked on the weight. Like I literally went from 84 kilos and 7% body fat um, to 96 to 104 kilo variances and like up to 20% body fat. And so, and during this, I was always really like I studied exercise science, so I had a background in nutrition, I understand how things work. And I was always really, um, like, I tried to watch my weight, but the thing was I never really knew what it was. And uh, the thing that threw me out was, like, what I learned at uni was just so 50 years ago in nutrition and what used to, you know, the, the food pyramid and all that stuff. And um, you go online and there's, like, 50 million different things. And, and it just actually, for someone that was qualified and experienced, like, it spun me into a position where I was felt like there was no point in my degree. I had no idea what actually worked. Because... I'm hearing this stuff at university that is, you know, from ages ago that is meant to be the way to do it. And then I'm like, well, I'm hearing all this other stuff about different diets and different things. And, you know, you've got keto diets and you've got vegan diets and you've got this, like, um, the fasting diets. And you hear 50 million things and you're just like... Information. Which one is it? Yeah, information upload. And what I sort of... the, The one diet that I found that actually worked was when I just went back to the raw form, like I did in everything in business, I went back to the rawest form of what actually determines weight loss, which is calorie deficit. And so I started there and I said, all right, well, I'm just gonna start at eating. Um, you know, I went on my fitness pal, use the app, that thing's absolutely brilliant. I yeah. literally live on the thing. It's a great track. It's, cool. it's, it's the best. And so I put in like, okay, I'm 96, I wanna get back down to 82. Mm-hmm. And I literally readjusted and said, all right, you need to have 8,600 kilos without to do that. So I would, um, so I came up with a pretty general rule. I went, all right, I have like an allergy to dairy, eggs, and chicken. So I said, I'm gonna have no dairy, eggs, chicken, and duck. And duck's pretty rare, I don't really eat that often. So I'm gonna avoid those. And basically, whatever I want, as long as it fits into that. And that's what, that's what I did. And I literally, three years ago, I went from um, 96 down to 80 kilos and got really, really lean again. And then I went back to normal and went back up to 96 over the next two years. Yeah. And then now I've just started doing it and I went up to 104 actually this time. And now I've gone from 104 to 89 in five months doing the same thing. But the, what I liked about it was I tried every other diet under the sun and I'd do them well for two, three weeks and then I would just blow it out. Because you couldn't sleep to it. was too strict. It was a Whereas what I liked about this was like it went back to the core thing that made me lose weight. And I knew if I was under that kilojoule amount, I would lose weight no matter what. And having the flexibility what I found was I ended up eating healthy stuff anyway. You know, you end up eating healthy stuff anyway, so you can eat more to stick into that around. Correct. And you it made better choices. It never felt like a diet. And now I'm at a point where I'm going to actually stick to this for the rest of my life. It's not a diet anymore. It's just what I do. But it's a lifestyle. It's become a lifestyle now. And so recently, um, I've been doing that with um, this new challenge I took about on the MFCO podcast, which was like the 75 hard. Mm. And yeah, yeah, talking a little bit about that. So the 75 hard has been life changing, actually. Um, so if anyone has, anyone wants to check this out, it's Andy Frizzella, MFCO podcast. It's one of his more recent episodes. And yeah, and what a great podcast. Shout out to Andy. Catch you on here at some point. Hundred <laughs> percent. And so 
basically what it is is he's trying to come up with a um, transformation program, not a weight loss program, not a diet program, but a, an actual human being transformation program that transforms your whole life. And it's sold really, really well. And it's based on the concept that um, mental toughness breeds success. If you're mentally tough and you are committed and disciplined, you'll be successful. And the whole concept is everyone knows that, a lot of people know that, but no one actually knows how to develop mental toughness and discipline. And so he he's sort of gone that extra step and gone, well, to develop mental toughness and discipline, you have to go through mentally tough things and be disciplined. And so he created 75 Up, which is a challenge that only like a very, very, very few amount of people will actually be able to finish and do it perfectly. And so what is this, five things. You have to drink um, a gallon of water uh, a day, which I think is about three and a half, four liters. You have to exercise twice a day for 45 minutes. One of them has to be outdoors. What I love about it being outdoors is um, you go to the gym in the morning and then you have to walk at night, even if it's pouring rain and thundering. <laughs> you got to yeah. He says, don't be stupid. You don't want to die. But the thing is, like, it's meant to teach you that no matter what comes up in life, you do it. You push through it. You don't make excuses. You do it. So I've had a couple nights already where I got home from a function at uh, midnight on a Saturday. It was pouring down rain and I had to go for a 45-minute walk at 1 in the morning. And it was horrible, but I did it. And you come home and you feel so pumped because you're like, wow, I actually did that. And I never thought I would have done it. Yeah. Um, the third thing is you gotta stick to a diet that actually achieves the goal you wanna achieve, whatever that is, and stick to it 100%, no cheat days, nothing. Not even like a spoonful of like peanut butter or something on one day, nothing. The whole thing is like strict. Then the fourth one is you have to read minimum of 10 pages of a book a night. I do about 30, so I've read, I'm reading about five books a month at the moment. It's pretty full on. And I'm listening to about two audio books a month. So I'm just chowing through knowledge, it's brilliant. Um, and the final thing is you have to take a progress photo every day. Now, the progress photo isn't to track your weight loss. The progress photo is to force you to look in the mirror at yourself and go, am I proud of myself? Yeah. And it makes you do that every single day. And that is what I think was one of the key parts because over the over the weeks, you start seeing body transformations, your mind's transforming, everything's transforming. You start becoming really proud of what you see. And you're like flexing in the mirror and you're like, hell yeah, look how good this is. Whereas when you started, you're avoiding it. You don't even want to look at it. You're just like, oh, that's, you know, it's disgusting. How can I let myself get to this? Yeah. And so what I've found is by doing this challenge, I'm on like day 35 or something now. Um, yeah, just over a month. Yeah, it's become a habit now. I don't even, sometimes I feel like I'm not even doing anything because it's just my lifestyle now. Mm. Um, I'm just like, the, the, the thing about it is there is absolutely zero compromise. You can't have any switches, no changes, it has to be black and white for what it is. So you can't go, oh, I'm gonna mow the lawn for 45 minutes and count that as my exercise. Say, no, that doesn't fucking work. You, it has to be an actual session. And so it forces you to have zero compromises, zero like, oh, we'll substitute this. And the interesting thing is what this is this 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 program has taught me is that the how you are in one area of your life actually is how you are in every area of your life. So since being super strict in this area, my actual business work and efficiency and output has like quadrupled. And now what I'm doing in a day, I used to do in a week. Yeah. And what now what I'm doing in a day, seven years ago, I did in six months. And it's absolutely incredible the sheer speed that everything is caught up with. And our business is growing at like an incredible rate now. Um, we're growing at about 30, 40% um, of all from pretty much like January through to, through to May, April, May. Now we've sped up to like 75, 80%. Now it's, it's accelerated to a whole new level. That's um, almost double. Yeah, exactly. And it's just going absolutely crazy. And so 
that was the biggest thing. And my roommate's been doing 75 hard with me. And we'd go for our afternoon session. We were running along doing whatever. And we're, we're just like, holy shit, this thing actually is like legit. It chained. All of a sudden we're finding where like, you know, just putting your clothes away after washing it instead of leaving them on the floor for like a week. We're making them every day. We're doing all these little things. And it wasn't until we connected the dots and spoke that we're like, oh, wow, we've actually started having this like no compromise, no excuses approach in every part of our lives. How you one thing tell you everything. Yeah. In, and, in, in a sense. And so now it's sort of given me an idea, well, you know, I'd love to do something like this with students and do like a 75-day mm. student transformation program, like whatever it is, like basically use those fundamental philosophies to design. To, you want to, to plug the health and fitness into the education yeah. because that's what's going to roll us kickstart or be able to sustain that momentum. Like, I, yeah, I back it so much now that, because um, I get people all the time being like, can you mentor me in this? And um, So now my qualification is if I can mentor you as I catch up with them and they go, if you finish 75 hard, perfect, no excuses, no screw ups, not one, then I'll mentor you. That proves to me that they're serious and it also puts them in the mindset I already need them in if they're going to be serious about transforming before I work with them. No, they're ready to take action. And not just because it's a verbal, but it's been an actual physical action. Like yeah, and you can see the transformation. Like, you know, I'm not just going to be able to see the weight loss, but they'll come back to me and say, they'll be a different human being. Yeah, and in a different mindset. It's absolutely incredible how effective this thing has been. It's, mostly, it's the most effective program I've come across so far uh, of anything I've done. Uh, and it's not a weight loss transformation program. That's no, 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 that's the thing. It's not about that. It's about all the elements. It's holistic. It's a balanced yeah. approach. And there's no, no wonder the guy's worth half a billion dollars now. Like he's, you know, and the cool thing about him is he, he talks about his business. He's been doing it for like 20, 25 years. And the first 11 years, he makes a single dollar. You know, it was just failure after failure. Lived in the back of his shop. Um, and now he's like, he's like Gary Vee level. He's like huge. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of you look at a lot of successful people, and they've always there's a theme, there's a there's a hidden theme. I I started doing something a while ago where that I would break, I would look at multiple successful people in a compendium of industries, and I'd always I I'd try and listen to things that they'd said, and you know you can find it compiled on YouTube audio now pretty easily. But if you listen, you read be, between the lines, they all have these common principles. Do like, you know one of them I think it is? The most successful people in the world study success, like they're obsessed with it. Yeah, but well, this is true. They they are yeah. like you've got to want want success. And they're obsessed with what actually creates a successful human in learning that. Yes. Um, versus yes. you know ninety nine point nine percent of the other people that you know just happy floating. And this is where someone goes, oh, I want to get into like business, so I'm going to research business. I'm like, research success first. Because that's the underlying principle. Yeah, because without that, there's no point in the business, there's no point investing, there's no point in your property, you're wasting time because unless you can get the foundational mindset and philosophy of success right, mm. and the hard thing is no one tells you what that is. You need to find that out. No. And you find that out through your own personal experiments and research that you do. Like there's no website you go to and it goes, this is a successful person. Like you spend hours researching Tony Robbins, Gary Vee, like all these biggest guys, you listen to everything they post, every video, every YouTube, all their advice, and you connect the dots and you can work out what your definition of success mm -hmm. is. You know, it's not something that someone's gonna hand you or yeah. apply it. And, but then you've still got to apply it as well, right? Because at the end of the day, you can get all these people who are listening to all these seminars all the time and they're doing so much absorbing the information, but they're not applying it. See, I don't get that. This is where that always loses me. I don't even think about applying it because to me, everything I learn, I apply. Otherwise, I don't learn it. Well, that's, that's the point, right? It's not like people just, they, they collect data 
They come yeah. back into so much. They do in so much of. Where does you know, it go though? Like, well, if you're not applying it, what are you doing with it? Well, that's it, right? So most of it is wasted. And then uh, I think a lot of it comes just down to procrastination. But going back to that point. Or a lack of confidence. Oh, yeah. Or importance. And like, probably multiple things, right? And that whole, again, everyone's at a different stage, and there's probably a lot of reasons why people look, oh, you know, it's, I'll, I'll be successful when. Or, again, I think in my industry, it's the whole magic pill mentality. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get on that magic diet, I'll do that magic exercise, I'll get the yeah, magic training. Magic business. I'll start on Monday, or I'll hit this. They're always waiting for this, like, one day, like, one day, tomorrow, it never comes. Like, the best time is always now. Like, he's always now. Like, action it now. Start now. Might not be perfect. That's all right. Starting is always the hardest part, mm-hmm. but it's the most rewarding, uh, I think, in, in the long run. So with that in mind, if you could go back and speak to your younger self now, so say you had five minutes, sum it up, you go back, speak to yourself at 17, perhaps the time where... You were really on the pinnacle of your swimming before yeah. you started, like the fastest, before you, you know, you didn't get any faster and you didn't progress in that area. And it doesn't just have to be about swimming. What would you, what would you go back and what would you tell yourself? Yeah. Just yeah. Have, you just had a few minutes and it was like, bam. I, I would spend that five minutes trying to teach myself, like, I guess the why of how I became the fastest in the world of my age, like, you know, get that that shift from the 10 to 30 sessions a week because what happened was i shifted to 30 sessions a week and all of a sudden i got really quite got really really good at swimming and i had coaches tell me that was the wrong thing to do and it was that's not what you do and you don't train that way and you're incorrect and you need to train this way and i literally butt heads with coaches um and so because i'd grown up being an unperforming person in, in my heart, I knew that if I did it my way, I'd get there. But every time I tried to do it my way, I'd be shut down by coaches and told them that's not how you do it. It's wrong because it wasn't what they said to do. Yeah. I would tell myself to fucking back yourself and don't listen to them because that's where I went wrong. I listened to them and I started going, well, all right. Well, and then I started believing I was naturally talented and that's who I was and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And so the coaches, you know, if, if I could just tell myself to back myself, that's what it would be. That's the thing with 18, no matter what. You know, I'm always walking in the dark. I'm treading new pioneer paths that no one's ever gone to. I'm, you know, having to find my own way with it. It's like darkness and all I've got is a candle. Like, yeah, because no, no one's done this before. There's no work yeah. blueprint per se. Exactly, and that's the lesson I learned from my swimming was that, you know, does, I don't listen to others. If it, and I say this quote all the time in my talks. I said, the thing that got me through the start of 18, because even my parents were like, you know, 18's cute, but you're always going to go back to medicine. And it wasn't until I literally showed them my P&L at the end of 2015 when they went, oh, fuck, okay, you're making, like, more than both of us combined, and you're only 22. And that was when they were like, okay, I can see that. And ever since then, they've been the biggest fan. Like, but before then, it was almost like, this is a cool side hobby whilst you're starting at university. Um, but yeah, you what I'm it seriously. Yeah, I just had this thing in my head. I was like... It made sense in my head. I could see myself having like this massive empire, this huge thing, and I had this vision that I would drive, you know, into the into the car park in this like Ferrari Lamborghini, and I'd walk up and have like hundreds of full time staff on multi levels, and, and and that was the, the vision I had, and it made sense the process of how I would get there. Mm. Um, yeah, you, you could envision it, and you believed it yeah. so much that you're making it a reality. That's what happened. I just believed it could happen. I never took no for an answer. I still don't today. So. Um, you know that that's the advice I would give is to back myself because I, I always I always think back like you know what if I kept training thirty times a week 
Yeah, it's that what if, right? Who knows? Nothing yeah. worse than that what if. I, I would, like the training I did in that period was absolutely gnarly. Like I, I would have done like twenty five sessions before Saturday, and then a Saturday morning would be a five k run to the pool timed two hours of threshold hardcore swimming, an hour of gym, a two hour run home to Merrimack State High School where I would do six 400s max with um, five minutes rest between each. And my goal was to get to the point where I couldn't walk at the end. And I literally, like, some, there were some days where I passed out at the end and I'd wake up with the headlights everywhere in the middle of this field. <laughs> um, and then I would like literally be limping home and, and then I would sleep all Saturday afternoon. You didn't need it. And I'd get up Sunday and I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave the couch. I'd just recover and start again Monday. And, and imagine if you had a coach to maybe take you those protocols like, so you could actually yeah. recover and train more efficiently without. Imagine if I had a coach that was on my side. Fields. Whilst I was doing that, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whilst I was doing that, I was telling the coach, I'm not going to do 10 400s when I'm a 50 meter sprinter. That's suicide. Yeah. And I literally went in the public lane by myself and trained myself because he refused to do it. And then eventually, the assistant coach started timing me and I was basically coaching myself before I left that squad. And so what was hard was I was this kid and I was being told that I was nothing and a nobody and that who was I to question, you know, this great coach who had made all these Olympians. Yeah. You know, what would I know? I'm just a kid. And the thing was, I, it made sense in my head. And if I had just been allowed to do what I had planned, who knows what I could have achieved. Or you had some more structure yeah. towards it. Because, like you said, if you you were that hell bent, you had that motivation and belief that you kind of you just did you did the the work capacity. But imagine having that work capacity, like you said, with someone who was like, "Yeah, I can see that." And now let's strategize it. Let's optimize it. The and problem that was that powerful. The problem too was when I got back and and went back in training after mm-hmm. my break after the thirty sessions a week. Like the thought process of of doing that again was like by myself was like, I can't do it. Like the training 30 sessions a week, you're talking like for probably five to six hours a day of hard training. Yeah. Like your whole life becomes training. Yeah. I didn't do anything for six months. All I did was train and sleep, train and sleep, train and sleep, train and, and sleep. And as an endurance athlete, there was, it does take up a large part of your life. I was a sprinter. But you have to be, <laughs> well, well, that's, I just had no idea what I was doing. But, I was like, if I train harder than everyone, I'll be better than them. But, but the swimming too, you know what I mean? Like you'd be, it's, like, just, it's like sport specific. Like if you want to get better at swimming, you swim more. If you want to you know what actually, swimming, but you need to segment it up. What actually made me win? that race wasn't that I was fitter, wasn't that I was better. Mm. What actually made me win, because I had a really inefficient stroke, I wasn't a national swimmer, so all I was super fit, my stroke was so efficient that like I would die faster than other people. Yeah. Um, and I was a big guy, I was stronger. Like, I should have been an athlete, I should have, like, I was a natural discus thrower. I got one state titles in discus with no training whatever, apart from dad doing discus in the backyard with me. like. I should have been a thrower, not a swimmer, but I went to swimming because that's what the family did. But, yeah. Um, yeah. In this, the thing that was interesting about it um, was that when I went to the um, Junior Pampax, which was the equivalent of the Junior Worlds at the time, mm. um, my dives to my dives to the fifteen meter mark, I'd always come up like with everyone, never ahead or behind. And I started watching Amin Sullivan, who had the world record at the time in his dive, and he started a new dive where he was pulling his arms back and coming over instead of just going forward. And I watched it on YouTube from thousands of times, thousands, recorded it down, wrote down it. And for those six months, I did 10 dives after every single swim session for six months straight. So that was 20 dives a day. You know, it was like 
um, you know, it was like 110, 120 dives a week where I would film and analyze and watch it over, over, over six months. When I got to the junior pan packs, the only reason I won is because I got a whole body length on the whole field to the 15 meter mark. My dives have been perfected so much mm. that I came up with the 15 meter they were all on my feet and I just held that the whole way. That's <laughs> the only reason I won. Yeah. I could have done none of the training, none of that stuff, and just focused on my dive. Well, that's it. And then <laughs> one, you look at that and you look at, wow, that's how one element exactly. of not, I love loopholes, it's kind of a loophole, by going, well, Let's have a look at an individual or a break it down find mm. a specific part, master well, I had the it. Power. All I had to do was like apply it. And the thing was like you an advantage or mm. enough of an advantage just like you said to sustain your lead. Well, from then on, I was known in swimming as like the, one of the best divers in the sport, mm. and it was interesting because well, it is a big element if you think about it. It is. It would I mean, it's a large part stuff. of the swimmer. I know uh, again, not not being a swimmer, but. Um, over the years about how it's been argued is it better to you know come up and I know there's a certain rule where you have to come up a certain time but, minutes, yeah. yeah exactly Look, but what between that time how can you accentuate it moving through the water is it a dolphin dive you know that always used to be a thing and then like you said with the arms or is there something else even the SSC the stretch shortening cycle which happens actually on the block which is when the swimmers yeah. and sprinters the other little like bottom up down thing because you get that like preloaded in the hamstrings and the, the, the tendons you know gives you that more explosive power but it's all these things like people manipulating these rules over the years and that's kind of that is that in, in and of itself is a very interesting concept yeah well the other thing too was I broke the dive down so much from the biomechanics to the entry point to the kicks underwater to the release um, you found the loophole even, even, <laughs> yeah and even down to the actual gun time um, I used to get my friend to sit there and we would do what I would call power sessions that I invented and we did two of these every week and we would get med balls and it was about pegging this med ball as hard as I could in different positions mm -hmm. because that would build my super fast switch fibers. Yeah. And that's what developed my like superior like like I guess power. Like I, I used to be able to chin up with, with 70 kilos around my legs. Yeah. Like I was so strong. Um, and with, with what I would do to get my dive good is we would do this thing where I'd get in dive position, hold the med ball, and then he would say, ready, go. And then our goal was to like explode as fast as we could from when we said go as we could. And doing that, you know, 20 times a week over six months. It built on adaptation. Your speed and your power and how quickly you can do it. And, and if you watch any of my videos, like 0.4 is illegal if you're faster than 0.4 off the dive, and I'm always 0.45. And everyone else is like 0 0.6, 0 0.7, 0.8. So my power off the block was like 0.2 faster than everyone else, and then my time into the water coming up, and and I would like that, that's literally the only reason. I, that, I mean, in in, in, yeah. in Olympics, you know, the difference between winning and losing can be like this or this. Mm. Like it's it is it is ridiculous. It's like in a Formula One track. It's like we're talking like eighths of a second. Mm. A second is like huge. It's like no, it's not. It's like oh yeah, one second is like massive. But when you're racing Formula One, you're looking at like eighths of seconds. Etc. Because it's like all about that minimal performance. Like, yeah. what can you bring out? So I think that's that's it's a really good example and a really bit of solid advice as well about what you would say to yourself if you if you went yeah. back. I, I think back, yeah. know, that resonates with me. And that's a common again. It's another common theme with successful people that they trust yourself more, have confidence, believe in yourself. Mm. And I think people can take a lot away from that. Now, before we wrap it up. Because that's been a very insightful conversation. I've certainly learned a lot. So thank you again to, for sharing. 
some more light-hearted questions, something I do with all my guests, a bit of rapid fire, it's a bit of fun, shows a, a bit of, uh, I guess, the humanity or the, the, the fun qualities, if you like, and sort of gets the listeners to know a little bit more about you. So I'm gonna ask some questions, just answer them as honestly as you can, as fast as you can, and we'll flip through them before we wrap up with the, the final question, which I ask all my guests. So I guess uh, the first question is, if you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Uh, it would be cool to be able to fly. Flight. Yeah, that'd be uh, really flight. Yeah. Why? Um, because it would just be, I just, they could be fun. Mm-hmm. And life's about, you know, cool things, awesome. essentially. Like, yeah. to me, that'd be cool. People that would be great mode of transport. But then being invisible would have its downside because you'd probably, you know, get into business you didn't want to and hear things you didn't want to. And, so flight's definitely the cool one. Flight, yeah. Like, it's a good one. I think we can all agree. We, we, no one would really turn down flying. Well, you'd have to be insane too, especially in this day and age. All right. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? What would you choose to be? Um, definitely, I think, a shark. Shark. Like what I kind just, of shark? Shark or lion. Um, I just, I don't know, like a great white shark. Like I, I spent time... Got it. We spent time diving with them in Adelaide, and we're in a cage watching them, and they're just the most... They're not what people make them out to be. No. Like sharks are like big red whites, they're just so like, um, they're quite peaceful and they're stunning. Like when one swims past you, you just get this like, whoa, moment. you're just like, that has a, has a presence. Oh it? yeah, like so powerful, um, but so like calm. I've not, I've not, I've not done that yet, it's actually how I want to do this. Are they, are they a lot bigger? Oh yeah, like, they're so big. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> you're that's like, a huge whoa. fish. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be in the water with it, put it that way, like it's yeah. huge. Because I've seen heaps of sharks in the surf, but they're all like bull sharks and maybe really rare tiger sharks. But you yeah. see a great white, it's just like another level. Yeah, yeah. wow. We want to go diving in South Africa and do it again. I can imagine. It's, I've only heard good things um, from people who do it, like for the most part. I know some people like, are really afraid and they just do it to pull themselves out of the comfort zone, which might not be a bad thing. But I I've, always had, a, I've like, always had a fascination, probably like you, with, with sharks. Yeah, just they're, they're my most favorite animal. I think they're the apex of the ocean. Well, and, um, well the thing is, they've been around, I'm pretty sure they are one of the only species that are still around. Mm. And they are very highly studied because they are intelligent, but if they've survived that long, then they have qualities that are advantageous of survival. Um, there's rumors that they hold the cure to cancer, etc., etc. But because they're cold-blooded, they don't actually have, um, they don't facilitate disease the same way. So cold-blooded animals like lizards, lizards, etc., reptilians, and they obviously said they evolved from dinosaurs, etc. Cool. There's a reason why they live so long. Um, apparently, hot-blooded creatures are more susceptible to disease and inflammation, etc. But yeah, right. it's, it's it's interesting. They are, um, I think, they're amazing creatures. That's why I asked the question because people love animals. Obviously, hence my business. So I think shark would, uh, I can resonate. I think that's a belter, especially appropriate to Australia, right? Can mm. a few of the great whites around here. <laughs> Hopefully not. It's not as good as I think. It's like, it's not a shark because I'm like a dog people. Like, it's a shark because I just think yeah, oh, like, yeah, the yeah. power of the animal is beautiful. Exactly. Like, okay, yeah. I can relate. That's a good one. Um, all right, next, next question. If you had one last meal, what would it be? You can choose like dinner, dessert, and then like a drink. So it was like your last supper, or or let me rephrase it. If you can only have one meal for the rest of your life, yeah. like one combo, like what would it be? It'd be what's, um, what's Hayden's like favorite bread and butter food? Yeah, it'd be. Well, it, I don't have it very often, but it would be my mum's um, crumb lamb colours with gravy. This epic. Nothing gets near it. Like 
Play my favourites as a kid. My mum's water. It sounds it sounds pretty good actually. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> and what would uh, what would you have to accompany that in terms of the form of a drink? You a bit of a uh, you a beer man, red red wine man. Yeah, either a red or a beer. Um, probably a red wine. I was gonna say, what would complement that dish? It would be more like some red meat. Uh, some, uh, lemon red, red wine. Some more lemon red wine. Wine goes together well. There you go. All right. So beer's more of your burger. And I suppose, yeah, it is, isn't it? Really? Like yeah, yeah, beer battered sort of stuff. And fish is more like a yeah, white wine. Or seafood and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas I go wine with lamb, mm. like red dark, like a pepper dark red wine. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. And what about dessert? Um, I don't want yeah, um, dessert. Krispy Kreme. No. <laughs> I don't like donuts. You do? Yeah. Um, I'm not really a huge dessert. I do love dessert, but I don't have it that often. Um, oh, so you I have a sweet tooth? Not really. Oh, wow. Um, okay, yeah. Like, I do eat. Or like a savory guy? Yeah, hardcore. Alright. Like, I, I might have dessert two, three times a year. Wow. It's not very often. Fair enough. But probably, I'd probably grab a donut or something. Yeah, man. Well, it's up to you. Yeah. <laughs> but you have got the choice. You you do <laughs> anything. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I probably yeah, probably go a donut like a good one. Got a good solid donut. Done. Done. Alright. That's that's good. There, there's I accept those choices now. <laughs> you can't go up with a donut. And I guess the the, the last question, as I asked all my guess I it's on more serious now, is can you identify a main or a major fear that you've had in your life could be an event, could have been a situation, a scenario, a time period in your life where you faced this fear it was one of the biggest fears or um, the hardest adversities that you faced and how did you overcome it? And after you overcame it, what are the, the takeaways or the things that you took away from that experience, if you like? Yep, oh, there's, there's heaps, but the, there is definitely one that was the hardest to get through, which was um so essentially like i have like this fear of like letting of like going bankrupt and letting people down and um when i was reinvesting to go to the like a from just me running the business to having departments and people and stuff um i didn't get any funding because banks don't fund tutoring companies mm. um so i literally just reinvested every dollar i had and i'd say about like a quarter of a million it went from when i turned around I invested the whole lot plus more um, like I was leveraging off like um, everything I possibly could to get to get it going, and so it got to the point where we were meant to finally start profiting um, in June 2018, mm-hmm. and then we weren't hitting targets. Then got pushed back to July, then August, and September, October, November, December, and I remember being in December um, like last year. And just like for, I couldn't sleep for a week, and I just had like the runs every day, and I was so sick and so stressed and so much anxiety. This horrible fear of if I ran, if I actually went bankrupt, like 150 people lose jobs, all the clients would never get the results that they need. Future and you know everything, like the schools would be let down, everything, but like the clients would be let down. And the thing that always freed me the most was like I built this business for 10 year old me. And so the things that get me through the tough times I think of 10 year old me and I try to save 10 year old me with this program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the thoughts of like losing that after seven years of this and my whole life putting it towards this was like, so, so great. And um, basically it was looking like, you know, we were gonna run out of money. We kind of already had. 
And so what ended up happening was um, the fear I had to overcome was to actually keep going and just put up with it and deal with it. And so I literally got to a point where the fear was so great it was paralyzing me. And I, I, I realized that if I was gonna actually get through this, I needed to change my perception and the thoughts that I was putting out there. So um, just one day I decided I'm gonna change this. And I literally flipped it. And instead of focusing on the financial projections and that, I started focusing on the marketing and the things I hadn't planned, the things up my sleeve. And initially it was like, it would work for a bit, then it would go back to normal, and then more and more, more. Then eventually, after like two weeks, I started just purely believing that, and I forgot about the fact that we were even like in a negative position. And um, literally, like bang, as soon as January hit, we went from like running at like negative each month to like hugely prop more money than I, like I was making in a month, what I used to make in a year now. Um, and it just went bang. And then what I realized in mid-January was one of my formulas was wrong in my forecasts and it was throwing everything out. <laughs> so it was all for nothing. If I had just had my formula right, I would have been seen, being able to see back in, it was one line, so I got this huge document I used to project everything. Yeah. And one formula hadn't been copied across. And it uh, threw, so the, whole, threw the whole data. It threw the whole thing out by about 100 grand. Technology, it's good when it works. But the thing was like, I had to still go through that mentally and overcome that fear because the fear of losing everything was so great. Um, yeah. And the way I had, to, I had to look deep within myself to do that. Um, and I was really proud that I was able to do it. And now I feel like I'm so much stronger from doing that. Um, once again, I had to go and back myself. You know, this, this time it wasn't like a matter of me giving in. Like I did when I was 17 and listening to the coaches, listening to them. Like, I actually just backed myself 100% and blindly believed and it happened and we pulled through it. So. Mm. so it's like that one little thing that was like a little blip or a little mistake turned into be one of the greatest learnings mm. or forced it. You feel like it forced you to go through one of the toughest times, which wasn't really happening in reality, but you did actually live it. You'd live through yeah. it because it well, we were just back then. so tired and everything was on the line everything like i would have lost every single thing i'd done if, if that hadn't worked out um and so it's you know, very motivating when you've got a fire right under your ass isn't it it's scary but at the same time like you know it changes who you are and really you, you realize it determines potential like what you're yeah. actually capable of it does yeah. and you look back and you're like you know now it's all good and well because it's like our cash flow is amazing but at the time it was like um, it, man, it was, a different, it was in a different world, but I was never like negative. Um, it was just like a fear that was there that I had to overcome. Mm. And um, now I look back and I, I can see the things that I got from it, the confidence I got from it. And when you go through something like that, that makes you mentally tough. Yeah. When you can't sleep for a week and every, you know, your stomach's dropped 24 seven, like having to work through that and continue going and, and find a way to go to a family Christmas and enjoy it and try to switch off like, smile. That, that storms in the background. Like, yeah, um, I love that. It, and I think that moment is like what separates um, like the real deal people from the talkers, you know, being able to go through something like that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like now I actually have made it Whereas before that, it was all like, everyone, everyone's like, wow, you're so successful, so successful. I'm like, yeah, we built this, but we're still not profiting. So, you know, it's like, you, you can't run a business without cash flow. This is true. It's a fundamental yeah. element. So but it sounds to me like it was a very character-defining time yeah. in your career. And it changed everything who I was. Like, um, that's what motivated me to start. You know, so I picked up the pace so much um, and just went to a whole other level. And, 
Yeah. And so that was definitely the probably the hardest thing I've had to go through so far um, in business. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's great. And, and those those times and those obstacles chapters if you will are great because we always look back on those and yeah we are grateful for them i mean at the time again it was like you say a bit of a, a storm and a shit storm like that i'm sure but if you'd not gone through that if that had not happened would you be where you are today or would you be the same person you are today would you have that potency that tenacity no that way. skill sense yeah that hunger that drive like you say it's like the, the the hardest moments is where the greatest lessons and character has been developed in this business and correct um you know, I, I think business works in like levels. It's like a game. So, you know, you start out and you're at level zero. And then when you start making $100 a week, you're at the three-figure company mark, which is the next level. Then you got to get to four figures, then five figures, then six, and then seven. And so that moment I was explaining was like pretty much the breakthrough of us trying to go from seven to eight figures as a company. Yeah. Um, and then once you break through that and you have that positive cash flow, you can carry that momentum through until you get to the next ceiling where you've got to then invest heavily again and hope that it pays off until you get through the next one. And so, um, and I think each level really tests who you are as a human and whether you're in here for the right reason. And you know, you're here to make money. And I think I think the the six to seven figure mark weaves out the people that shouldn't be there because. You know, they're the guys that they start making six figures and you see the big gym junkies driving the fucking Mercedes, the MGs, and they've spent every single dollar they make on yeah. that and they're still living with mum at home. Um, and it doesn't, like, it doesn't, it seems a little bit backward, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Whereas like, why don't you reinvest in your company? So yeah, you can make more money, but they're more interested, interested in what people think about them. So their motivation for their business is me, 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 me. Whereas I wanted to create something that changed the world and I still want to, and that's what drives me through each level, no matter how much money there is, it doesn't, I still I still pay myself 40,000 a year. That's what, I'm the CEO of a company that, that you know, is turning over three, four million a year, and I pay myself 40,000 a year, like, and I will continue to pay myself that because every other dollar needs to go back in. And I gave my whole team a promise um, back in 2016, and I said, for the next 10 years, I will keep every dollar here ongoing. I'm not gonna pull money out apart from my salary. That was it, and I, I'm sticking to that promise. Yeah. yeah, because it's that's what needs to happen. That sort of dedication and sacrifice is what needs to happen to be able to get the influence and the effect that I that I want. Because I want to eventually be able to die one day and people go, man, that guy changed something. He yeah. changed the way education was. He changed the way people learn. Mm -hmm. He gave people hope. You know, revolutionised. Yeah, I don't want people to go, man. He, you know, yeah, he made a lot of money, but he was a dick. You know, yeah, or people say at the funeral, it's like that sort yeah. of thing. You know, people would turn up, what would they say? And that's what I think about is what legacy can we can we create here? And I think that's where my Something happiness that you can't comes from. Put a value on. My happiness comes from that. It comes yeah. from the purpose. When you find your purpose and you're driven, so it gets you up in the morning. That's what keeps you going at the darkest hours, right? Yeah, exactly. And you're right. That's what I think make and break, uh, makes or breaks, and it's the difference between someone who's doing something that they love and they're passionate about versus doing it for an external or a monetary gain. Mm. And I think one of the hardest lessons I've learned to sort of piggyback on what you just said is that if you do what you love, everything else will fall into place. The money is a byproduct of success. Mm. Someone said that a while ago and it sort of resonated with me. And for the it longest is. time I chased the dollars because I thought I needed the dollars to build my business and it was everything's backward. Mm. I'm like, well, if I just did what I love, like the money will come. Yes, I need money yeah. to live, and I do like nice things, but that's not the priority. 
Mm. The priority is doing something that fulfills me and making a positive impact in other people's lives. But I think you've got to go through that to learn that. Yeah, because like yeah. in society, we're trained from a young age that money's everything. And so well, this is yeah, and when, yeah. especially now in the materialistic age we live in. When I was twenty-two, I made a quarter of a million profit that year and bought a custom gold Range Rover. And I literally thought I was the king because up until that point, I did everything for the money. It was about how much money can I make, how much money can I make, how much money can I make. And then after buying, because that was my motivation, I wanted to buy this car. I was like obsessed with buying a Range Rover. And when I finally bought it, um, yeah. How did you feel afterwards? Like, because the novelty wears off, doesn't it? Yeah, the first month. If that's the like, only reason why you bought it, the first month was like, hell yeah, this is absolute. I'm such a baller. Like, yes. Other kids my age couldn't even afford like you know, a car, let alone like a brand new custom Range Rover, yeah. and a golden one, and- <laughs> That's like, such ego. <laughs> I know. And so after about probably two, three months, I, the, it felt, I actually like felt no different to driving my first car. And I was like, well, yeah, this, what, this is this is dumb. And, and that's- Especially if you have the passion and all of the I went through like a six month period where I was so lost and I was confused after that. I didn't know what to do. And I was bored and, and my business wasn't fun anymore. And it just became mundane work. And it wasn't until um, I sort of sat down with mum and she's like, well, you achieved all the goals you wanted to. You need to set new ones. And um, and then that's when, that's sort of what started making me think, do I want to do this anymore? I think it's important to check in with yourself every now and then and go, are you on the right track? Yeah. Do you want to do this? Like, you might be making all this money and be successful, but are you doing what you want to do? Because ultimately that's what it comes down to. I mean, because yeah. you can build these businesses and all this, and it's like that famous story um, where the businessman in America goes to Mexico and he approaches the fishmonger. Mm-hmm. And you know, he fishes you know, with his friends, sells a few fish, plays guitar with his hombres, and he goes through this big story where the businessman goes, well, why don't you sell the fish, scale it, go to America? And anyway, long story short, it comes back to, and then you can retire near a beachside place, play guitar with the hombres, spend time with your wife and kids. And the guy's like, well, that's what I already do. So yeah. it's kind of like, fucking, why do you need to go through that cycle and make all that money? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a phenomenal one. The thing where I learned it was um, in 2016, it was my ego and that attitude that destroyed my business. It actually crumbled from the inside out because of it. And in 2017, I had to humble myself so much. Was the hard, 2016 was the hardest year of my life. Like I lost a lot, you know, I, had, I don't think I ever profited that year. Like I basically left a lot of money on the table, had a lot of things go wrong, um, had a lot of staff leave me. Um, yeah things like that like had the, had, a, had a particular summer that was really like quite the wrong fit that caused a lot of drama and then with me being like that it was just a clash but um and in 2017 i had to rebuild who i was and my character and <clears throat> why i was doing it and um it wasn't until like i really gave that scholarship away and i was so connected with the family and i saw the family change and the happiness within them that's what changed everything yeah that's what changed the whole thing for me it wasn't about money anymore. it wasn't about this no. anymore it was like i kind of got like a punch in the face of how powerful what i'm doing is and how by using money as the as the sole motivation is so selfish and backwards and stupid and so after that the motivation just completely switched and my happiness went like through the Richter scale like miles mm. um and doing it's fulfilling <clears throat> and now it's just built momentum over three years and now it's like the sole reason i do this like because yeah. you um, want to change people's lives like <clears throat> fundamentally like we give away a lot of money and a lot of scholarships yeah. and things like that but that's because um, i think the the greatest feeling in the world 
you know, one of the best feelings is being rich and having a lot of money, but sure. the one that's above that is being able to like give and, and, and be able to like give happiness to somebody through mm. giving them something. Like giving something that you can't put a price on. Exactly. Like that. I think the best that's people it. in the world like the most and, and success is different to different people, but if we define success or we think about success as again doing that or playing God if you will. You look at like your Musk, you look at your Bransons, you look at, you know, the biggest, most influential people of not just our time, but times gone by, you know, whether it's like Edison, Picasso, etc. They're all great. They all have this influence, right? They all have this passion. And they, none of them did it for the money. Yeah, sure, they yeah. all, well, eventually they all were very well off, but that was just a byproduct. And like you said, they were just again pioneers of their time mm. people setting the trend and think we need more people like you in the world and and with that said i think that's a, an appropriate way to to wrap up the discussion today it's been insightful i uh, thank you once again for your time and sharing your experiences i know i've learned a lot and taken away a lot from it and, and things that i can apply and things that resonate with me and i'm sure a lot of the listeners can can you know, take a lot of value from it and some key takeaways and I'm sure they're sort of pondering now, yeah, I've sort of been through that and that and maybe connecting a few dots and hopefully people can go forth and perhaps place themselves a little bit better after listening to what you've said. And for people who want to reach out to you or learn a little bit more and find out more about what you do or perhaps they want to get some uh, tuition uh, from, from yourselves here at uh, 18 Tuition, where can they find you? Where is the best place um, to go um, to, to get that information? Yeah, 100%. Is, um, you can either find me on Instagram, Facebook, Hayden McAvoy, um, and have a chat, connect directly. LinkedIn, I use LinkedIn quite a lot. LinkedIn, yeah. um, otherwise, check out www.ateamtuition.com. Um, we'll have it in the show notes, I'm assuming, and, and people can click through and, and check that out. I got my bio in there, but essentially goes into more detail, I guess, of what we do yeah perfect because i know that I've, I've got a lot more follow-up questions which might lead to eventually doing a round two etc yeah. and whatnot and i'm sure we'll have more conversations as we've done off off camera etc so we will for anyone listening as well we'll put that in the show notes so all the links will be there guys so if you're watching on youtube they'll be in the description below itunes and spotify same as as always guys thank you for tuning in and we will be seeing you very soon for the next episode of the Raw Knowledge Podcast. And as always, guys, remember, stay fearless.